Welcome to Counseling Over Coffee, a podcast of Redeemer Counseling Group. Whether you are listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, we are happy to have you. And if you enjoy this podcast, it helps if you rate and review us, particularly on Apple Podcasts. And of course, any sharing of the podcast on social media is greatly appreciated. For more information about Redeemer Counseling Group, you can visit our website at RedeemerCounselingGroup.com or look us up on Facebook. And with that, here is Cherie with Counseling Over Coffee. Benny and I enjoy most about Redeemer Counseling Group is the opportunity to visit churches and do what we call our same care seminars. Now this is a weekend where we equip small group leaders to create a culture of care and connection in their groups and in a couple of weeks we will be heading to Jamaica to be with Grace Family Church in St. Catherine. And then on September 9th and 10th, we'll be in Platteville, Alabama, where I will do my known and seen ladies retreat for three churches in the Southeast. And we would greatly appreciate your prayers as we seek to serve some wonderful folks in these places. And of course, if you ladies would like to make a trip to a sweet little town outside Montgomery, Alabama. I would love to see you at the ladies' retreat. Okay, let's get going on today's topic, which is a part two about anger. Last time I introduced the topic of anger and how it's often an empowering way for us to avoid more tender feelings like sadness or fear. And I also mentioned that anger, like most things, is on a spectrum. So it's in a family of other either lesser or stronger feelings, like irritation or frustration on one side of the spectrum, all the way over on the other side, which is outburst of rage, or as the Bible teaches us, murder, when it talks about how murder and anger in our hearts can actually lead to murder. So today I'm inviting you to join me in understanding why and how fear is often underneath our anger. Understanding how anger begins in a little seed form in our hearts is the beginning of experiencing real growth as we investigate this common struggle in our lives and often that seed that can eventually be expressed in regular bouts with irritation, frustration, or full-blown anger are seeds of fear. Now let me remind you as those created in the image of God, a God who experiences wrath and anger, All of our anger is not sinful. When there's injustice, we image God by being angry at wrongs done to or by us or others, wrongs 
that need to be righted. Yet, because we have remaining sin in our hearts, even as believers, unlike God, our anger can be tainted by or even fueled by sinful cravings and desires in our hearts that need exploration. When I started, uh, when I, or actually when I shared the incident uh, where I grew angry toward Benny and I threw my phone at him, there was a reason behind that behavior. I felt wronged by him. And if he was here, he would admit that he had wronged me. So while my frustration and anger had a legitimate source outside of myself, the way I expressed that anger was wrong and foolish. And at the bottom of my anger was actually some fear. As I'm talking, it reminds me of the metaphor that Dr. David Pallison regularly used of our hearts being like a sponge. When we squeeze a wet sponge, what comes out? Think about it. What comes out is whatever was already in the sponge in the first place. If a child sopped up some juice they spilled with a sponge, then milk's not going to come out when we squeeze it. And when something happens that puts the squeeze on our hearts, whatever was already in our hearts comes out. In that situation with Benny, something he said or did grabbed onto and squeezed frustration and anger out of my heart. And before I knew it, my phone was flying. And often what anger reveals about our hearts is anxiety or fear. When I was about seven, Mom and I went to visit my grandmother when she worked at a small hospital in Maryland. And when we left the hospital after our visit, Mom was pulling out of the small gravel parking lot to head home when I noticed the driver's, I'm sorry, the passenger side door where I was sitting wasn't closed all the way. And I said something and all I remember is mom telling me just to open the door a little and then pull it shut. The car was still moving very slowly. And when I opened that heavy door on that huge car that people drove back then, it pulled me out of the moving car and onto the gravel surface. And mom screamed my name and slammed on the brakes. She got out of the car she ran around to find me lying just inches from the back tire that would have crushed my bloody but unbroken leg. And she grabbed me up by the arm and rushed me back into the hospital where a nurse carefully <laughs> removed pieces of gravel from my leg. And as you can probably tell from these very specific memory, it was very painful and I left with a huge bandage covering most of my sore leg. Now, I don't remember much about my recovery, except that I felt what happened was my fault. I must have opened the door too far, or why didn't I close the door properly when I first got into the car? I felt badly for how upset I had made mom. What did I experience in this situation. 
it, I experienced a level of shame because I thought mom was angry at me. She had yelled my name out in what felt to me like a frustrated and mad way. And she had jerked my arm up to get me to stand up, then rushed me into the hospital. And to me, these were expressions of anger. Fast forward 20 years. I noticed something interesting. When someone, myself, or like my nephew Doug, who spent a lot of time with us, or even my kids, got hurt, I was especially careful to think and speak in quiet, calm tones. Honestly, I never thought this through. I didn't sit down with myself and say, so, when someone gets hurt, I'm going to be calm and gentle. I'm going to assure the person that accidents happen and that this wasn't their fault. I'm not going to become hurried and frazzled. And even when there's blood or broken bones, I'm, I'm going to be, remain calm. I never thought that through. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s and another fall happened that I began to understand this interesting pattern of me of keeping calm in scary situations. I was six months pregnant with our third child, Jesse, and I fell down some icy concrete stairs while headed to the hospital to visit my newborn niece. The same leg was scraped and bleeding and I calmly got up walked into the hospital and asked an employee where the ER was. The wound was cleaned and bandaged and I got up to the fourth floor of the hospital to see my beautiful little niece who I found out was born with a broken collarbone. And her mom and my brother and whoever else was there, I don't remember, were understandably concerned. And I calmly assured them that Jennifer would be just fine and infant bones heal well and quickly. And they both thanked me for bringing peace into the situation. And after the nurse noticed my bandaged leg and heard what happened, she commented on how calm I was after falling pregnant, then helping calm the situation with my family. Again, this is something I didn't start to do. I, I later realized the connection between the fall at seven and this fall almost exactly two decades later. Here's the point. I didn't want to respond to injuries or accidents angrily like I had perceived mom. I wanted to assure those around me that everything was fine and that whatever accident happened wasn't anyone's fault. It was just an accident that could be quickly taken care of. But here's the issue. You probably want to speak into your, the device you're listening to this podcast on. You probably want to say, Cherie, your mom wasn't mad. She was scared. And you would be right. While the way she yelled out my name and grabbed my arm felt like anger to me, what was squeezed out of her mother's heart was fear, probably mixed with some embarrassment or shame. After my fall with Jesse, I asked mom 
if she remembered my seven-year-old fall and she remembered it well and said how terrified she was when she saw she had almost run over her daughter's leg. And she also mentioned something about how cars didn't have seatbelts back then. And this brief interaction let me know that she wished she had somehow protected me from the accident. Mom's fear sounded a lot like anger to me. And what about your fears? Could they sound and feel to you and others like anger? Is there, in fact, maybe a pattern in your life of using anger as a way to actually protect your heart from fears that stalk or haunt you? That day after I threw the phone at Benny, I spoke with a counselor about what was going on in my heart that day, and she helped me make some connections to long-standing fears in my relationship with Benny, fears that some common but painful patterns between he and I just weren't changing, even with counseling and help from friends. Because I was so focused on his need to change, I had lost sight of ways I also needed to change and specifically how reactions on the anger spectrum of irritability, frustration, and throwing my phone at him in a moment of rage were going undetected in my heart. In the book of James, chapter 1, we learn that, quote, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Because anger often seems to work to get what we want, like when we we react to our kids' disobedience with harshness, because we know that that will get them moving to do what they were told to do. Or maybe a roommate finally stops leaving dishes in the sink when we get frustrated enough to be frank and firm about feeling taken advantage of. When, when we express anger in a situation like that, we think our anger is working because it gets results. But the truth is this. Proverbs 29:22 A man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Now, note this passage is to those given to anger, those who have a a pattern of using anger to even unknowingly mask fear by the false power and control of sinful anger. So, Here are two questions to ask ourselves. Number one, to what degree is anger a part of my life? Now, as you answer this, don't look for how often you explode in a fit of rage or throw something at someone or speak angrily and harshly. This narrow definition of anger is what kept me blind to its prevalence in my life prior to throwing my phone at Benny. Locate your anger wherever it most often falls on the spectrum. Irritability, frustration, inward seething, 
withdraw from who, whoever you're mad at, sarcastic or gossipy comments, or harsh words in heated moments. Excuse me. Throat's a little dry. So the first question is, to what degree is anger a part of my life? And number two, as you begin to see how anger is expressed in your life, ask yourself, am I afraid of something? Fear masked as anger is really hard to explore. Why? Because examining our fears can make us feel weak, embarrassed, or silly. This makes sense, right? Because the vulnerability of admitting we're scared means others may also see us as weak or silly. Yet the God who made us in his image as one who experiences all the range of emotions yet without sin is there to help us and has kind and tender things to say to the fearful that we'll get to in a minute. So what if there's a different way to think about fear as something that's always wrong and sinful? Is it? Is fear always wrong? Was my mother sinning against me when she screamed out in fear as I was pulled out of the car onto the parking lot? No. Her fear was the natural response to a frightening situation. I wish I had known that when I was seven. I didn't. And I wrongly interpreted her fear as anger. But God knows us so well. He knows when our fear is a direct affront to his love and providence or a stubborn refusal to trust him when life gets hard. And that happens. Yet he also knows when our fear is so scary that we reach for anger to make us feel strong and capable and in control. So back to his help. I love these words from Isaiah 41. They're the words that are not an eye-rolling father who says, stop worrying. Haven't I proven that I'll take care of you? No, they're the words of a kind and compassionate father who says this, I and the Lord your God, who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, don't be afraid. I will help you. Do not fear, for I myself will help you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. How comforting to know that God's words to the fearful are, I will help you. I will help you. Running to this God with our fear is movement toward a loving, kind Father who takes us by the hand and promises to help us in our fear. So do you struggle with anger? Then maybe do what one of the ladies I'm currently counseling is doing as a growth assignment. It's something I do regularly, and it's really helpful. Get a piece of paper or take out your phone and make note of times in your week where your heart gets squeezed and anger comes out. Then ask yourself, wait, 
What am I afraid of? Whatever is there, fear that a child drifting from God will do harmful, scary things. Fear that your marriage will will just keep on getting worse and things will never get better. Fear that someone else will get that promotion you've worked so hard for. Fear that there won't be enough money to pay the bills. Fear that the follow-up appointment with your doctor will yield frightening news. Whatever that seed of fear in your heart that is expressing itself in anger is, remember this, God invites you to come to him with your fear because he promises to help you. Thank you.